This episode of Kid Lit These Days is sponsored by Book Riot's mystery thriller podcast, Red or Dead. It's spooky season, readers. Get your thrills with Red or Dead, Book Riot's bi-weekly mystery fiction podcast dedicated to the worlds of mystery and thriller literature. Join hosts and genre experts Rincey and Katie as they catch up on mystery and thriller news, chat about new releases, and recommend your next mystery and thriller reads, including your favorite subgenres like true crime, cozies, procedurals, and all things Halloween appropriate. Get Red or Dead, that's R-E-A-D or Dead, on your podcatcher of choice. Well, hello and welcome to episode 39 of Kid Lit These Days, the Book Riot podcast. At Kid Lit These Days, we are your Kid Lit connoisseurs, pairing the best of children's literature with what's going on in the world today. I'm Matthew Winner, alongside Nicole Young, and we are here to have conversations that create opportunities for parents and grandparents, teachers and librarians, and all who love children's books to engage in the world through literature in a deeper and broader way. We are recording on September 27th, 2020, and today's episode is all about folks who have chosen self-publishing as a means of bringing their stories to the world. But first, how is it going, Nicole? I'm doing all right, Matthew. How are you? You know, it's things are going. Why don't we we've got a lot of hard things that have happened in the past yeah. 2 weeks, but I feel like saying that could be literally any episode we are recording. Mm -hmm. Um, so I want to, uh, have a moment to acknowledge the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, um, who, uh, who I think many of us are feeling the ripple from her being out of our life. And also we are, we are confronting what our, um, system will be to replace her and whether or not that system is being upheld in ways that it's been consistently upheld for past presidents. Mm-hmm. Ugh, I can't even, I just can't even. <laughs> um, and also have... I think thinking about the, the, the gap that is left and what needs to be done in the world of, of judicial, you know, like oversight to like, there, there, there's work to be done in terms of preserving our civil rights um, and I'm hoping that we get there. <laughs> yeah. This week we also heard uh, um, the ruling in the Breonna Taylor case, and that yeah. was, um, I think, inciting of a lot of uh, emotions for many, many others. You were talking about that a little before recording. Did you want to share any more? Yeah, I think I, once again, and we've done this a lot, to your point, on this podcast of just talking about these moments, but... Um, it's another moment where I think Black America is 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 dealing with um, a law enforcement that doesn't really value or matter, like see our lives as mattering, and also a, a judicial and like criminal process that does not center Black lives. And so I, um, for the parents and the grandparents and the educators and those who are are engaging with children right now who are asking questions about Breonna Taylor, I just send love to you because, um, it is a hard time, um, to talk to children about what it means to be black in America. And, um, I know it's, it was a heavy week for me. 
Um, so I am sending you all love. To be talking about justice, what does justice look like with children mm-hmm. is, um, is a really interesting place to be and a place that, um, the I'm grateful we can spend the entire year on. There is no reason to hurry past talking about justice with children. Yeah. I think it's what we do here on this podcast, engaging in those conversations. And um, I am confident that there are many, many educators talking about justice with their students in myriad ways already this year and as we continue forward. So uh, keep fighting, folks. Keep centering those children. Keep centering justice. We're with you, Till. Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, Nicole, what have you been reading this week? So I was in the Arusha. <laughs> I know. That's why I was bringing it up. <laughs> I know what you've been reading. I just want you to tell me on recording. <laughs> I'm, I'm reading book three now in the Arusha uh, trilogy. Um, and it's terrific. It's like, it's terrific. I love, I love this. And um, we're going to talk about a book that's like Arusha later on. But um, it's just great middle grades reading. And I highly encourage people to check it out. This is book three. I'm looking at it right now because I'm on the page to tell about the book that I was going to talk about. Book three is Arusha and the Tree of Wishes mm-hmm. by Roshani Chokshi. Chokshi, right? Yes. And um, it's got a beautiful pink and purple cover. The covers with a creepy are so shadowy great. monster. Oh, all of them. All of them. I'm on, this was from our last conversation too, um, which I think we had on recording. Yeah. Uh, I'm on the Rick Reardon website that is Rick Reardon Presents, which is his imprint where he's uh, really bringing into the conversation uh, many own voices authors to share uh, in in own voices mythology in this mythology world mm-hmm. of books that he's been writing and the one i'm reading right now because we were comparing notes i'm reading paulo santiago and the river of tears by taylor k mia and it's it's a book about um a legend of a woman who drowned her children in the river La Llorena. Who, mm-hmm. ah, who continues to pull unsuspecting children into the river and that is how she haunts haunts the banks mm-hmm. the banks of the gila at night mm-hmm. um and where i am which is in a 10-hour book i think i'm already five hours deep it has gone incredibly fast um we are just like in that supernatural amazing territory i forgot i forgot how dare i forget what a trip Books like these are, where they say that thing that you thought was only a myth. Yes. Let's walk into that yes. world. It's what so a trip! Good. It's so good, and especially at a time like this, where you need some real, like, really great escape. Like, I want some swashbuckling. I want some deep mythology. Give it to me. Like, this is a perfect time for you to dive into those books. Yeah. <laughs> hey, well, let let. I think we're right on par to do the next sponsor then, which seems very relevant. I'm so excited about this. Okay. Um, this episode is sponsored by Maya and the Rising Dark by Irina Barron, published by Hot and Mifflin Harcourt. In this highly anticipated contemporary fantasy, 12-year-old Maya searches for her missing father, 
her search for her missing father puts her at the center of a battle between our world, the Orishas, and the mysterious sinister dark world. And this is a great uh, book for fans of Arusha <laughs> the end of time <laughs> and the serpent secret. Um, and I have been, I told you, Matthew, that I was excited about this ad because I have been waiting for this book to come out. Everything about the, like the copy, the cover, um, the like Rena Barron's description of the work. It's so exciting. So um, it doesn't have an audio book yet. So I'm not going to be able to listen on audio book, but I'm going to go buy my copy this week. Um, but it is so exciting that it's out. The cover has Maya standing atop an inverted city. I'm yes. like, oh my goodness. With her hand raised. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> oh boy. Well, we are having a conversation today, not just about books that we are so excited are coming into the world, but also, of course, about those folks who are bringing books into the world. I uh, have been interested in some time in this world of self-publishing, whether or not it's the right world for you or me, whether or not it's the right world for a particular story you're trying to share it's just a world that fascinates me because I think that, you know, we hear that everyone has a story to tell. And, and that may be true, that every one of us has something we want to share. Mm-hmm. Some of us just want to write a book that we can share just with the people in our family. Some, uh, I think, follow the path of self-publishing, maybe because that's what's the most accessible way for the general public to get a book published, because publishing seems a little convoluted and, and weird and mysterious. And so... When you Google how to get a children's book published, a lot of self-publishing sites or um, what do they call the sites that are like print to reader, I think is what they call yes, them. You don't, you're not buying a, a thousand copies ahead of time. It's like a print on demand type model. But this is a way for you to tell the story that you want to share and perhaps to have more creative control. I think when done well, the process mimics a lot of what traditional publishing looks like, mm-hmm. but it is really the, the the person leading the book, whether that be the author or the creative team, uh, is really um, is really guiding the process. Um, and and some of these books, you know, I think about. I, I first started really being aware of self published books that really were meeting a need that I couldn't find anywhere else when I started looking for picture books that were covering anaphylactic food allergies, Mm. um, which is something that I, as a reviewer of children's books, I have come across many, many mass marketed books that have got allergies wrong. Um, And that might be because they're going through many hands of people that don't understand food allergies in this case Mm -hmm. uh, and, and want to edit it to be their certain way or diminish the voice of the debut author or whatever. And when I have come across books that were self-published, not all of them are outstanding, but also not all (laughs) traditionally published books are outstanding (laughs) by any means. By any means. Um, Mm -hmm. So to have a book that really speaks to, um, this is a book that I wanted in the world that I wanted to see myself or my children see themselves, but no one would publish it. And so I just decided I wasn't going to wait any longer. I'm going to publish it myself. Um, it's so often the story that I hear. And and so I wanted to really take time to honor and lift up some beautiful self-published books and people that are advocating for folks who take the path of self-publication. Yeah. You and I talked a little bit before about Zeta Elliott 
um, who she, we actually talked about her books last week. I talked about dragons in a bag last week, I think. Um, and I was in July while we were still in the digital world. I, I, there was a, a session that was put on by, um, by the Authors Guild Foundation. And it was a book, it was a session about centering black creators and their pushing for change in the world of, of children's literature publishing. And a lot of them there, and, and these are folks who, like Judy Allen Dodson, um, Floyd Cooper, Cheryl Davis, um, and others who, who actually, whose work you know, they're illustrators and writers who are, you know, have also gone traditional publishing routes. But they, each of them had talked about the struggles they faced in trying to get stories about black children published and how um, independent publishing, publishing for your self-publishing is a way um, to really just combat the forces in the traditional publishing world that would say this story doesn't have a place. And they also all talked about um, black literary festivals that have been created and been running. They talked about one here in Philadelphia. I can't remember the name off the top of my head. That's been running for 30 years. And how Zeta Elliott talked about how those were the first places where some of her self-published works were ever purchased um, at some of these festivals. And so I love that you brought this topic because I think there's just, there we, we have talked about at length the limitations in the traditional publishing world. I think there's been a million hashtags in the past, even in just the past year, about the limitations in the traditional publishing world, particularly for queer authors and illustrators, people of color, black people. Um, and so folks are using self-publishing as a tool to really disrupt um, what is a very white dominant. I mean, so many of the major publishing houses, especially for kids' literature, are helmed by completely white uh, white staff. Um, the agents at literary agencies are all white people. And so if you're telling a story that feels very specific, there may not be a place in their minds for your work. Um, so self-publishing makes a space for you to be able to do that. You know, and I think about at a traditional publishing house, you have a marketing team behind you, which may or may not do obsessive marketing for your books. There's also a disparity there that I will get an email three times about the same book uh, from one publishing house, but never ever hear about a book I know that they are publishing that I'm looking forward to that I have to um, request on my own. So there's 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 pluses and minuses to having a <laughs> a publicist at a big house, but uh, also those publicists have a billion books to cover. Mm -hmm. But when you're self publishing, often you are up against the challenge of having to to wear all the hats, and promoting books certainly is a challenge in that way. Uh, but, you know, we have a responsibility here as as gatekeepers just running this podcast that um, we want to make sure those doors are open for folks that are publishing whatever books they have coming out to be able to uh, get those books in front of reviewers' eyes to be read and considered, if nothing else. Um, I try to read and consider every single thing I receive as a reviewer, whether or not I cover it, because I think that it's a great act to bring a book into the world. Mm -hmm. I um, have an article from HuffPost that Zeta Elliott wrote in 2017 called What's Love Got to Do With It? Self-Publishing as a Black Feminist Act of Radical Self-Care. I just want to read these two paragraphs, if you don't mind, yeah. that say, um, 
I have three traditionally published books for young readers, Bird, A Wish After Midnight, and Ship of Souls, and a fourth will come out this fall at the time of this publishing. Um, It's called Melina's Jubilee. But the rest of my books are self-published. I didn't plan to be an indie author. Who would? We're regularly scorned. But after facing a decade of rejection in an industry dominated by white women, I realized that self-publishing was the only way I could get my books into the hands of the kids I serve. Uh, she says, as I, as I explained in a recent article of, for Publishers Weekly, I have no regrets. Three of my indie titles have been included in Bank Street's Best Children's Book of the Year, and one, A Wave Came Through Our Window, was starred for outstanding merit. So what does it mean when stories about kids of color are rejected over and over by some white women, but then declared, quote, outstanding by others? Elliot continues, After spending years railing against racism in the Kidlet community, I've decided the answer to that question really doesn't matter, though at least one editor has a theory. I have a new mantra these days, which I owe to African-American historian John Henry Clark, who, long before the era of Black Lives Matter, understood that, quote, white people think when you love yourself, you hate them. For example, all lives matter. These days, when I think about discrimination in children's publishing, I take a deep breath and repeat Clark's words, quote, when I love myself, they become irrelevant to me. So I am so excited to share our guest today on the show, Nicole. It's someone that I'm excited to share with you as well as with everyone else, because she um, did reach out to me with her book and I found it to be beautiful. Um, and beautifully done, and her story behind it was even even more so. Um, her name is Sohani Parikh, and she's the author of Shriya's Very Own Style. She's also the founder of Modern Marigold Books. Sohani has a, a beautiful, wonderful bio that I encourage you to go to her site and read, and we'll link it in the show notes. But in this story, Shriya is a child with alopecia areata, um, and a disability that causes her to have uh, random hair loss, not total hair loss, partial hair loss. And so um, Suhani also has um, alopecia areata and uh, looked for a way to share this story of a girl who sees other people's hairstyles and wants to mimic their own, um, but also to have uh, not only this child self-affirm, who she is, but also to have her friends support her as well and see her for who she is. It's a beautiful, beautiful story, and I can't wait for all of you to hear my interview with Suhani. So enjoy. Hi, I'm Suhani Parikh, and I'm a mom of two uh, four-and-a-half-year-old twin girls, and um, I'm on a journey this year to uh, raise confidence and raise awareness in our next generation through Modern Miracle Books. Well, welcome, Suhani, and twin four and a half year olds. That's adorable. Oh yeah, they are adorable at times. <laughs> I love at times. I hear that. I'm. I, I, I've mentioned before on the show that I'm uh, back at school, and part of my my work is that I, I handle car loop, and we have a a pair of um, pre K twins that I That's brought sweet. out of the cart today and just got to meet. So yay for little ones! Yay yeah. for how um, our fingerprints are all over them and they're becoming these individuals. I love that. And you, you who are an author and who are bringing these stories to our children and bringing, bringing the world and other people's experiences to them. I'm so grateful that we have the chance to talk today. And I'm so grateful that I've gotten to meet 
Shreya's very own style. I've gotten to meet this beautiful debut <laughs> book of yours. Thank you so much, so much for having me on today. It means the world to be able to be here to share my story and this this book with everyone. Well, let's talk about it. Can you give an introduction of your book and a little bit about, um, I guess, I, <laughs> without trying to give it all away, sure. um, a little bit about the, the own voice's connection to this story? Sure, sure. Well, um, Shreya's Very Own Style is about a young girl who has alopecia areata, which is a um, much more common than you think hair loss condition um, that is very unpredictable. And um, it's a story of how she's going through her day, um, just doing the things she loves to do, learning different things, and how she, um, in her mind, runs these comparisons between her and the girls around her and her friends and the way that their hair looks versus how her hair is. And um, it's just the story of how she feels it makes her feel inside and the way that she learns that her style is much more than what her appearance is, is that, you know, um, it's everything that makes up who she is. So that's in a nutshell what this book is about. And um, it's really based off of my own experience uh, growing up with alopecia areata. Um, you know, growing up, I was an avid reader and I never read a book, whether when I was younger or older, that had someone in there who was growing up with a condition that I was growing up with who experienced the feelings that I was experiencing. And it was um, so important that I, in my debut book, uh, really capture that experience and um, depict a character not just with alopecia, but with alopecia areata, which is this patchy, patchy sort of hair loss. Um, because when I first started doing research for this book, I just saw a lot of, uh, there were very few books based on alopecia um, or about alopecia. And what they did show was complete hair loss, which is typically total, total alopecia totalis or alopecia universalis. And none of which had this patchy hair loss that is what I looked like when I was growing up and that I still look like today. And so I really wanted to show that experience through this book. I love that one that you're you're sharing your story you found this way to create the story that wasn't there when you were a child but also through picture books you know we have we talk about picture books as windows and mirrors right yes, the work of dr rudine sims bishop talking about yes. windows and mirrors and how important it is that i'm not telling you anything new that as a reader as you were growing up the way you experience the world and the world's people and everything that you don't live yourself is through books, yeah. through stories. I, I mean, it's also the way you do experience yourself to know that you're not alone in um, whichever intersection of your identity. So the fact that you chose to share this story and um, in, in a very real way made it um, for Shreya about, about that, that, that thing that we see with everyone interacting that we're constantly touching our hair. We're constantly thinking about how do we look and looking in the mirror and, and so much of, I think the way that we perhaps feel that we are being judged by others is by our looks, the impression that we're giving by how, how we look to them. Um, so to have Shreya be um, considering that and, and trying her hair in the ways of the friends that she sees, right. but also not to give away your ending, but to to have space at the end of your story to also model for, for your readers how to welcome in 
whether uh, you see yourself in Treya's character or in the characters of her friends, right. you are creating a world there where um, emotions are present and upfront, but also so is support and solidarity. And I think that that is a, a beautiful comfort that you're giving your readers that I, I really found to be strength giving. Thank you so much. Yeah, I definitely wanted to show that supportive, that she was surrounded by the supportive community to really role model that for any child reading the book. You know, if they don't have alopecia, it's how they can show up for the person who might might have alopecia or just or might be quote unquote different in any way um, and just really show up and be there, be that supportive community for them and um, to really help kids build empathy for one another. So that was really, really very important for me to show at the end there. Um, yeah. And yeah. I mean, we, I walked away feeling like, well, well, don't we all have things that we're self-conscious about that we, Absolutely. some of us can, can pass more easily with those things. And some of them, some of us, you might not even realize how much someone is, is struggling with, with whatever it is about themselves that, that they uh, fear someone might see and misperceive right. and, and, judge them for. Yeah. So yeah, there's, I mean, this is, gosh, we're still on the first question. I apologize. <laughs> let me, let me move us along. I'm just really in this moment and I <laughs> am feeling grateful. I mean, as a person that works with children every day, it, it matters to me yes. so much to have people seeing my students. And as you're saying, you said that alopecia areata is, is much more common yes. than yes. you might think. So to yes. know that to know that, I mean, I feel like let's let's jump into why why take the journey that you took for this book, Swahani? You self published this debut, yeah. and you did it as I said off recording in a way that that really I think speaks to setting a standard for others on how to do this. I I really saw your values and and your respect of the picture book <laughs> down on the page itself. Can you talk to me a little bit about why you chose to go that route? Thank you so much. Yeah. I uh you know, for me because this was such a personal story, traditionally publishing it or even trying to go that route was never never an option for me. You know, I I definitely wanted to have complete creative control over how the story was told from you know, the words to the illustrations to what I was able to do with the book afterwards. So I, for me, that was paramount that I was, you know, in the driving seat for, for this book completely. Um, and then second of all, I'm a huge learner. I've just like Shreya and the story, I've, I've always loved learning the ins and outs of anything that I've, you know, set my sights on. And so when I, um, decided to write this story and to get into this world of publishing, I knew that I wanted to learn the ins and outs of how everything works to bring a story to life and um, and hopefully be able to help others now that once I once I learn it, be able to help others bring their own voices stories um, to life as well. So that's a that's a huge goal of mine in, uh, going forward. How long? was your timeline one value of self publishing is that typically you can you can from you know idea conception to to you know bookshelf it can be a little faster but how how long ago did you start working on this book to give us a sense of timeline oh gosh oh i've been working on these books for a very long time <laughs> i love it i, I love started it. writing I, knew it. I started writing shreya's very own style at the beginning or close to the beginning of 
20, 2018. And I wrote basically the entire year. And I, I wrote Shreya's story as well as a bunch of other stories as well as a kind of my year of writing. Um, but I really spent probably a year working on this story and about 75% of the way through, I decided to scrap it all and start again. And so I did that yep. and started again. <laughs> and um, I'm really glad that I did because I love what the, the, you know, the story that came out of that second try. Um, and then it, the illustrations took about a little over, let's see, a little over six months or so uh, to get done. So the illustrations took some time. So all in all, I think I've been working on this story for Gosh, close to two years, I would say. <laughs> I think that, that that sounds right in line with 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 other folks who are making books. The whole um, practice of writing and writing and writing and writing to get you to the next book, and sometimes writing just to <laughs> to sharpen yes. the muscle of writing. And I love the I've done I've done the writing and then scrapping the entire manuscript, only to realize. Wow, that was a lot more freeling right. than I expected it to be. Right. Yeah, before I decided to scrap it, I was like, no, I have to just fix it. Like, I can fix it, I can tweak it, I can tweak it. And then I was like, this isn't working. Bye bye. Like, <laughs> this is <Yeah>. not <laughs> And then I started, I mean, the, the storyline, I guess, is essentially the same, but I rewrote the way that it kind of everything worked. And uh, I, again, like, I'm so happy that I took that step. It was a big step to kind of just say, okay, I'm going to rewrite this because I had already spent so long working on the story uh, for what it was. Um, but glad I took that step. Yeah, I think that was one takeaway is um, for me in that moment, I realized that, you know, don't be afraid to start over if you need to. It's okay. You know, next, what'll, what'll come up next is is going to be better and more honed in on what you want the book to say. And, you know, everything's on a computer now, so you'll have the old draft there if you need to go back to it. I was going to say. You're not like Google, a piece of paper. That's right. Google Docs remembers all of your <laughs> changes. It constantly is saving your changes. Right, right, right. Exactly. So you, you, um, I would love to know how you found your illustrator. But beyond that, I'd love to know how you, I mean, you have an entire company now. You have a book that is printed you have there are there are lots and lots of 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 steps here that I, i'm sure you as you were researching were pulling in other people can yes. you tell me first about um finding the illustrator finding that pairing and then perhaps some some other people that you found to work with to make this book happen yeah absolutely um finding the illustrator took quite some time i think i spent a good five months searching for just the right illustrator because i really wanted to capture the hair just right. So I wanted to find someone who had a really, really wonderful way of depicting hair um, through their artwork. So I think I'd ended, I, I searched on every illustrator site, you know, portfolio site that you could think of. And in the end, I ended up coming across one artist, I believe it was on Instagram. And I reached out to her and I was like, you know, I have this idea and I love the way that you do your character's hair and some of your illustrations. Um, and I had a phone call with her and she immediately connected to the story. She's like, I can do this. Like, I, I would love to be a part of this book. And so when she first sent back the um, initial sketch of Shreya, it was so spot on what I wanted it to be. And it was just, it just like clicked. It was like meant to be. It was so meant to be. And um, that's how I found the illustrator. But then after that, you know, I of course had to find I the story went through multiple rounds of editing I think I had it edited by two different people um maybe 
three times. <laughs> I've had this, I've spent a lot on editing for this book because I really wow. wanted it to be just right and really make sure the message was delivered right and all of that. So um, it went through a lot of rounds of editing. And then I um, actually connected with my cousin, who's a fantastic graphic designer for the book design. And it was something new for him. But I was like, no, we can do this. You're so fantastic. You're talented. I know you can do this. And I think he did a fantastic job with the design, with the layout and the coloring and everything. He did a lot of research to kind of learn what he needed to know. And I did a lot of research to say, all right, look into this and look into this and figure out this and all of that. So it's very much a group effort. And it's like a little family, this team uh, that I've I've created these books with. So um, Uh, that's amazing that it worked out that way. But I'm not surprised because you just keep pointing to well, I spent all this time doing this thing and then I spent even more time doing this yeah. thing and I spent even more time. So uh, I, I'm grateful that you found, uh, your illustrator is, is Lovia Garg, right? Lovia Garg, yes. She's absolutely yeah. phenomenal. She's she's illustrated a few books before, but she, um, and I'm, I'm such a hands-on person. So I was like, no, this isn't right. You have to change this to this, change this to this. And she's like, this is the most involved I've ever seen. <laughs> and my view, my illustration, I'm like, well, get used to it because this is how it's going to be. (laughs) And so, but she's very happy with the outcome and she was really happy for the direction. And um, she was, she's very, very proud of, you know, the finished product. So it's all that matters. (laughs) I mean, you, 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 one, you found, (laughs) you found the artist just like the way I hear art directors do it all the time where they're like, well, I was looking on Instagram. (laughs) I'm like, stop it. (laughs) That's amazing. So you just never know when your, your work will be discovered. But I think that thinking of other um, self-published books I've seen, some, maybe many feel rushed. Mm. And I understand the feeling of, I want to acknowledge the, the feeling of, I have a story and if I don't get it out right now, it's going to be too late. Yes. Whatever right now means. I, yes. I understand that. I, I work in a library. I understand the um, the urgency of getting a book into a child's hand. I get right. that. Right. Um, at the same time, I think sometimes that can cause people to fumble. Right. And, and, and there are steps that I, I see you doing here that just before you and I even talked, I just knew there was thought behind it. And one of those um, details was that um, you credit your illustrator up front. Not only is, is her name on the cover and on the title page, but she has a um, a, a, um, a dedication as well in there, an acknowledgement. Okay. And I think that that speaks to uh, the the partnership, the collaboration, which of course it is. You were just describing that. Yes. But I think that that also tells me that the books that are set apart are because you are thinking of the book as a collaborative effort, not just as a, I need someone to put art on my story, right. but rather I, I want to do this together with someone. Right. And And what a beautiful job she's done of, Really, all of those things, but I think about, um, in particular, the the Diwali show, oh, yeah. um, and and looking at uh, Sana's long, it says her long gemline braid, and how yes, there are just these these moments that I see a reader sitting with the art as you're reading it aloud to them, just moments that have been built in there to just sit 
and look and use your eyes and read the story with your eyes while I read the words to you. And and those moments, I think, especially for for communicating a story about using your eyes to look and see a person, see them, see them um, deep down. I think that that is really important that the art carries it's 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 role in the story and and you you both have done a beautiful job with that so thank you for that care absolutely yeah lavia has done a fantastic job and when i first started when we first started working on this book i i told her i was like i've written the story but the artwork is like that's what's going to elevate the story so this is all on you to really bring it you know <laughs> give it the oomph that it needs and to really capture capture its audience and she really own that and she really just did I mean she worked so hard on these illustrations and she was so mindful of the time my timeline and I mean she was so fantastic to work with so I know that I'll be working with her in the future as well and she's definitely a permanent part of Modern Marigold books. <laughs> Can you tell me about Modern Marigold? I read tell us I should say because I read on your website because I was so into <laughs> learning about this and also I should just say up front so honey I was fascinated by not only did you um publish this one book but that you've had these other two in mind and you've been working on them. You you really set out again not with the attitude or the mindset of I have this one story and I just want to publish this one story but rather with the attitude of a writer that we have more stories, many stories to share. And we look at the down the road, not just this one thing. I'd love to know about the name of the publisher, right. of the publishing and how you chose that. And just what more you have in store for us. Sure. You know, it's interesting. I So I grew up with a, and I still to this day, have a, a very severe allergy to pesticides. And so any unwashed vegetables that aren't organic or flowers that are heavily treated, um, you know, with commercial pesticides. Uh, my my face immediately breaks out in hives. I have to take Benadryl. Like it's it's a pretty severe allergy and, um, and it's an immediate reaction. And so flowers were something I was so distanced from since, I mean, I was like probably four when my parents first started noticing these reactions and made that connection. Um, and so I was I, even till date till date, like I love flowers, like I love fresh flowers and I can never like hold them and enjoy them. And so mm. when I first thought of, you know, writing, when I, when I started writing, I was like, all right, well, I need to publish this under a company because I want this to be, you know, everything to be under one roof. And I was like, I need a name. And the first thing that popped into my mind were flowers, but not just any flowers. Like I thought of a marigold. And um, I think I thought of a marigold because it's so deeply rooted in Indian culture. Um, marigolds play many roles from like religious ceremonies to ornamental, like hanging um, up in doorways or um, during weddings. And so um I thought of a marigold. And then when I started to research further into the meaning of a marigold and where else in the world is it seen, I discovered that marigolds held held a very deep root in many cultures around the world and that it had so many beautiful meanings and um, uh, it signified so many wonderful things. And so I was like, all right, this is definitely a word that I want to incorporate into it. And um then I thought of modern because, you know, everything we do, even though it is rude in our past, we're taking stories from our past and bringing it to the, to the, today's generation and, you know, passing on these lessons, 
we have to keep up with the times. We have to make sure that we're knowing what's going on in the world and everything. So the word modern sort of got stuck on there. And then um, it kind of just became modern marigold books. And that just kind of just fit so well together in my mind. And I was like, all right, this is it. This is what it's going to be. (laughs) That's sort of how I came up with the name. (laughs) It sounds like the name came to you and you just (laughs) accepted it, right? (laughs) It was just meant to, I think everything is like meant to be in this world. Like everything that happens, you know, whether it's good or bad or whatever it is, I think um, there's, um, there's a reason for it. And that, um, what's what's supposed to happen is going to happen sort of thing that's just my 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 personal belief and so yeah i was really i really love the name and then i also love the fact that um the connection between children and even who we are and a marigold you know marigolds are very resilient very sturdy flowers they um are used in conjunction with a lot of other um uh i guess um what's it called like fruits, vegetables, um, other flowers, because they're natural pest um, deterrents. Like pests don't like their smell, and so they're planted oh. among other fruit, vegetables, and other in among gardens to kind of keep the pests away. They're hung in doorways for that same you know purpose. Of also, they look beautiful, and so I love that they're so inclusive and they were so they just like you know like to be grouped with other other things, I guess. And so I love that um, relation. To like, I love seeing children as marigolds, you know, like we want them to be like that, to connect with others around them, to be very resilient no matter what they come across, and to, you know, be very accepting of everybody around them. So I like that connection as well. Well, I love that your books and your readers that you're raising through these books, as well as the two you have at home, are are going to grow up with this connection to marigolds and to that mission that you have. I think that's beautiful. I would love to know, of course, you're welcome. I'd love to know, uh, you know, self-publishing isn't for everyone, but it's a really great option for some. And you and I were talking off recording about how um, I have anaphylactic food allergies, as do two of my my two children. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, one place where I've really seen some exceptional self-published books has been in the allergy market. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if there are other self-published books that you really love that we can love on and help spotlight too. Yes, absolutely. So three people come to mind um, for that question. And that is, the first is uh, Latasha Perry. She has a beautiful line of uh, children's books. It's called uh, Kids Like Mine. It's a series. Um, And it's it's all about uh, this beautiful affirmation. She has uh, hair like mine, skin like mine, imagination like mine, and I think there are three others uh, that I can't I can't think of right now. But there's a beautiful line. So Latasha Perry is the first one. Um, second one is Meenal Patel. She's an author illustrator. She's written a beautiful story. She has two children's books, but the- I love Meenal Patel. I, she's been. To, I love. She's been on the children's book podcast. I adore her. She's wonderful. I I am so like. I, I'm like one of her biggest fans. Like I love her artwork. I love her books. Like, oh my gosh, I absolutely, my children love her book. Priya Dreams of Marigolds and Masala is like always my kid's favorite go-to book. They like love it. And we're Gujarati as well. And that depicts like a very typical Gujarati family and home and all the words they just know. It's, it's um such a beautifully made book. So that would be the second. And the third is Gabby Garcia. She has a beautiful line of, um, books that center on mindfulness and she's um, trained in that field too. So um, they're just wonderful, wonderful books. 
That is wonderful. And you caught me off guard with <laughs> Nino's name. <laughs> that just makes me smile. Oh, <laughs> wonderful. Well, thank you for that chance to lift up other books. And we will, uh, of course, be mentioning others later in the podcast. But before we go, are there any other, like, if I knew that when I was first setting out <laughs> bits of wisdom, <laughs> you want to share for others that, that might be considering the route of self-publishing? Oh, sure. Um, well, the first is something we already spoke about, but the first would be definitely be that publishing takes time. So don't rush the process. You know, it just takes time to learn how things work. It takes time to make the relationships, to make the connections. Um, it takes time for the book to be completed. It takes time to market yourself and your books. Like you just have to be patient and keep going and keep reminding yourself of your why. And that's something I do till, till date. You know, I'm just at the beginning of my, of my journey too. So I'm still learning. I'm still growing. And, um, it's just something you have to keep reminding yourself, like you're doing this for a reason. So don't ever lose sight of that. Why? Um, the second thing would be like, don't overlook proofreading, like proofread it. <laughs> like You got to get the book proofread by a professional because if you don't, you will get caught with a mistake. There will be something in there. It's just inevitable. Um, and then the third is just to pay attention to industry standards for, you know, how artwork is laid out, um, how the written content is you know, typically done and structured and even like how, um, like overall book design and layout, like how are books typically put together and what are the key design elements that you need to have incorporated in there? Because I learned some of those later on in the process and I had to go back and make those changes and it, it you know, costs you money at that point. So, um, those are a few of the things that I would, um, definitely say, keep in mind. Well, Sohani, thank you so much for joining us on Kidlit these days. Thank you for sharing Shreya's very own style. I wish you the best of luck in the future. And uh, I just can't wait to see what you have next. Thank you so much. It was so wonderful speaking with you today, Matthew. This episode of Kidlit these days is sponsored by Frankie Comics by Rachel Dukes from Oni Lion Forge Publishing Group. When they discover a kitten asleep in their doorway... Real-life artist couple Rachel and Mike immediately fall prey to her charms. Soon, the new queen of their home is a Blue Point Siamese cat named Frankie, stealing snacks, making mischief, and taking snuggling very seriously. Frankie proves again and again the wholesome joys of a feline companion. Hilarious indie comics darling Frankie Comics is collected for the first time in this full-color hardcover edition perfect for pet lovers everywhere, <laughs> dare I say. <laughs> you can find it in stores October 20th. So we have now come to our, our segment of book talking on the show. This is a special type of book talk um, because we reached out to our communities to hear of self published books that you love. Uh, we are going to be doing a lot of lifting up of great voices, but we're also counting on you. Are you a self-published author or do you have a friend who has self-published a book that you think is exceptional? Please share over social media. Let us know using hashtag Kidlit these days. Send us an email at Kidlit these days at bookriot.com. Every single book we mention, we will include in our show notes at bookriot.com slash listen. Find episode 39 of Kidlit these days. Nicole, why don't you start us off? So Asian Americans Who Inspire Us is, I've mentioned it actually in a previous episode, but it's written by, by my dear friend, Annalisa Queers. 
Queer as Wolf and uh, with Mike Franco and illustrated beautifully by Turier um, Sirianen. And um, she made this book, Annalisa made this book because she did not see enough. She's a Filipino woman and her kids did not have enough representation of Asian Americans. So it's a beautiful book with 16 different Asian Americans who have changed the world and their stories. And I just, it's gorgeous. So. Beautiful. I'm going to hop to Beads and Braids by Aaron Taylor Diggs and Marissa J. Jacobs. It's illustrated by Justice Paige Witzel. This is a book about a young girl who undergoes treatment for cancer and loses all of her hair. Before that, we see a child who loves her hair, loves the sound the beads make in her hair that are tied to the bottom of her braids. Um, And she's confronted with losing all of her hair. But she also sees strength and experience of illness and and growing up and and having the support system around you to allow you to grieve and grow mm. and and be your strength when you need it and and celebrate you when when your strength is there it's just it's a wonderful wonderful picture book I love it. Um, and it's I have... based on a, 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 a true story. I should say m- most or if not all of these books, um, we are coming at from an own voices angle where these authors are, are sharing their life, something very specific to them. Are, are yours doing the same, I assume? Yeah, most of them. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the next one I have is a silly one. It's called The Cats Who Live on Clarence Street. It's um, written and illustrated by Ashley Lernout. And um, it's two delightful black cats experience the ups and downs of home ownership in this silly rhyming story. Bright and colorful illustrations complement this whimsical story, suitable for young and old alike. And this was recommended by our fellow um, writers and podcasters at Book Riot. So, Awesome. Thank you, Book Riot. Just this <laughs> week, I had a uh, my music teacher um, came to me and said, do you know this author, Vicki Weber? Does she have more books? Because I love this new book she has called Rhythm Rescue because it's a picture book that that teaches rhythm of, uh, you, you know, like music rhythms, like how you read music uh, notes and what it means to be in 4-4, things like that. Um, and it does it through the the lens of these different instruments um, in Music Metropolis, just a beautiful picture it. book that she is obsessed with, um, that my, my, um, teacher friend is obsessed with. Um, Rhythm Rescue is written by Vicki Weber. It's illustrated, uh, by Genevieve Viel Tasheru. And Vicki has self-published five books now. They, uh, on her website, uh, learning from her website, they either lean into her experience as a music educator or as a Latinx author, she's she's exploring both of those through her books. And it was just such great timing that my music teacher was like, do you know this book? It's amazing. You should see it. I thought this is, it couldn't <laughs> be like, more perfect. And it will be added to the list. <laughs> That's Thank <right>. you. <laughs> I will make sure other people see it as well. Thank you, Ashley. <laughs> Um, I love this next one. It's called Mighty May Won't Cry Today, and it was recommended um, by Margaret Kingsbury. 
And it's written by Kendra Ocampo and Clairvaux Ocampo, and it's illustrated by Eric De, uh, Erica De Chavez. And it's a vibrant uh, children's book featuring my May, I'm sorry, an Im- imaginative, determined girl who tries not to shed a tear on her first day of school, but with the help of her two moms, learns why it's okay to cry, which the scene where they say it's okay to cry is adorable. They're sitting on enemies. I love this. Um, young readers will delight in how May cleverly navigates the unexpected resolves challenges with um, positivity and utilizes mindful techniques to work through her emotions and feelings. But when May comes across an insurmountable challenge, will she be able to hold back the tears? Um, And this is adorable and I love it because there's LGBTQ representation. She's got two moms. It's beautifully illustrated. And it's about this thing that, you know, just letting kids feel the emotions that they feel and telling, you know, not trying to tell them not to cry. And I love it. Um, So, yeah. That sounds beautiful. I've got two picture books that were made into um, traditionally published picture books that started off as self-published books that I am obsessed with that we've brought up on the show before. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to do a quick shout out to my friend Cherie Miller because Don't Touch My Hair is one of my favorite books about consent. Um, and it's about a black girl uh, and the world trying to touch her hair because they all they think it's cute and does it feel soft and this and this and that. And Cherie takes the story into a fantasy world because while they're running away, while while the main character, Arya, is running away from the humans that are trying to touch her hair, she goes into the ocean and a mermaid tries to. She goes to a <laughs> castle and a dragon tries to, out to outer space. <laughs> Aliens try to. It's wonderful. The first book that Cherie self-published is called Princess Hair, and it's about... Uh, the different types of natural hair. So Cherie Miller uh, uh, started off with these self-published books and tells the story of of being a self-published author. And um, since then, these books have been tra- published traditionally, um, but haven't changed, according to her. They are what how she originally uh, made them. So how beautiful. I love it. And also talking about self-publishing, making breaks and cracks in the traditional public publishing industry, there's no doubt that Cherie's books laid the way for hair love, right? Like there wouldn't Absolutely. have been a hair love if she hadn't been there first. So shout That's out. That's a great point. Um, I Can Do Hard Things, Mindful Affirmations by Gabby Garcia um, and illustrated by Charity Russell is wonderful. It is a wonderful book. Um, and it it's about just tapping, helping your child tap into their inner strength. And so the beginning of the book kind of walks you through, like you've had a bad day, things happen. It's hard to like hold on to yourself. And then the end of the book are these affirmations that kids can say to themselves throughout the day, right? I can choose kindness. I can practice peace. I can share my gifts with the world. And I think um, to start kids early on affirmations is beautiful. And I love, I really like this book a lot. I'm realizing that we have so many books to talk about. We're just going to talk fast. Okay, fast. I'm like, I'm writing down too. Like, I need to read all these books that Nicole's mentioning. I have not read those. <laughs> That's so wild. I have a book that a friend on um, Facebook shared with me that I was like, yes, I need this now. It's called Ezra's Big Shabbat Question. It's written by Aviva Brown, who is writing books about Jews of color. Yes. And the 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 her uh, description is that Ezra loves questions. Follow his adventure, which will leave your little one in stitches of laughter. Ezra spends one Shabbat asking his question to everyone he knows, from his baby sister to his rabbi. Can anyone answer his big question? 
Meet Ezra, an American Jewish boy with big ideas and an even bigger family. He has a question about whether he can perform a specific action on Shabbat, the Jewish day of rest. When no one he knows is helpful, he turns to his rabbi, who both answers the question and leaves him more confused. Even if he gets his answer, will he know what to do with it? It's, I, 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 as soon as I Googled this, I was like, I need this now. This is fantastic. <laughs> I love it. Um, my next book is Kutu, The Tiny Inca Princess. And it is, um, this is, was recommended by Mariana Llanos. Um, and, and she reached out to us on Twitter and suggested this. It's her book. And um, it's illustrated by Uldarico um, Sarmiento. And I love this because it is written in Spanish. English and Quechua, which is a, a indigenous language of Peru. Um, and so it, it follow Tiny Kutu's adventure in the Inca Empire. If you like Mighty Girls, then you're going to fall in love with Kutu and her courage and perseverance. In this bilingual book written English, Spanish, and bits of Quechua, we meet Kutu, a princess the size of a cob of maize. When a terrible drought devastates the city of Cusco where she lives, Kutu sets out on a courageous quest to save her people. Um, and I just, I, I love this. I love bilingual books, but also ones that are helping to publish languages that are, you know, really specific to one population. And and so I think, again, this is traditional publishing would say there probably was not a space for a book that's written in English, Spanish, and Quechua, um, but self-publishing allowed it to happen. So, yeah, it's exciting. Mariana Ayanos writes beautiful books and has self-published a, a good number of them. And I, I love them. Big fan. I specifically love her picture book that she did with um, Penny Candy Books called Luca's Bridge. Beautiful, beautiful book. So, yay, I'm so glad that she reached out. Thank you, Mariana. <laughs> <laughs> let me let me wrap us up quick with just throwing some beautiful books out there that, that um, I don't want anyone to miss. Under Our Roof by Rebecca Stanton and illustrated by Christy Gaunt is a, a story of a family um, with two moms and celebrating that love is love is love. It's a, it's a beautiful um, LGBTQ um, centered and celebrating story. I, I, I love that. There's Petro and the Flea King, which is recommended by so many people that I bet half the listeners have read this already. I would love to find out. It's written by Kenneth Lamug, and it's um, a wordless graphic novel full of whimsy and tradition Ooh. and fun for all ages. And then finally, just to drop another note and nod to how self-publishing can take us in all of these different directions. I had a note here to um, share with you, Nicole, that um, did you know that in 2018, there were 1.68 million self-published books? I did not. So many. And um, you know, we've mentioned a ton. Uh, Sahani mentions um, three in our interview together. But there are self-publisher, self-published folks that are going new directions. And one person I'm really excited about is Jelani Memory, who runs this company called A Kid's Book About. They have, I don't even, I can't even guess how many. I bet they have 40 books out now. A Kid's Book About Disabilities, A Kid's Book About Racism, Belonging, Divorce, Bullying, Empathy, COVID-19. Mm. Name it, and it's 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 probably out there. But the brilliant thing they're doing with these books that are that appear to be picture books is that these books are written by own voices individuals who are not authors. These are just people who have lived their lives. And if you can picture this book almost as a uh, a graphic interpretation of a TED Talk for children, 
Did that work? Yes. Um, it is a, <laughs> like the book with no pictures um, by BJ Novak, it is a book with no illustrations, but the font itself is is graphically designed to be engaging and beautiful and to be the bridge between adult reading the book or child reading the book and a a commonly misunderstood or confused um topic and it's 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 beautiful it's beautifully done and uh specifically the one um on disabilities i thought was very moving the book i've read on on a kids book about depression uh would have helped me so much growing mm. up with my mom we've talked about my mom on this yep. podcast and some of the things she uh struggled with growing up and it just to know that self-published books are taking us in brave and bold directions that traditional publishing may not be ready to go to yet, that they are setting the story through their work, I think is such a beautiful affirmation. So thank you all to those of you that write books or that have shared books with us um, and and the opportunity for us to share those stories here. Thank you. (laughs) Well, thank you for joining us today. As always, we would love your feedback on this extra long, extra loving (laughs) podcast episode. We always appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts when you do that. You also help people find us. You can find me, Matthew Winner, at Matthew Winner on Twitter. And you can find me, Nicole Young, on Twitter at IttyBittyNY. Thanks to Dr. Baker for sound editing on this episode. If you have a story idea, reach out to us on social media using hashtag KidLitTheseDays or email us at KidLitTheseDays at BookRiot.com. We'd love to hear what you're thinking about and what you would like to hear on the show. May your coming days be storied and may the good stories keep on coming. <laughs>